The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We kicked off a series a few weeks ago called Love and War. We're going to continue in that today, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That's going to be the title of my sermon today. If you remember Lou Ferrigno's uh, Incredible Hulk, that was something they would regularly say. Uh, yeah, on that show before, you know, the Hulk would come out. So uh, we're called to love God, love people, and serve the world. That's something that all of us as Christians, and you can frame it and phrase it a different way, but at the core, uh, the way we like to say it here at Word of Grace is that we are called to love God, love people, and serve the world. And we get angry. So how am I supposed to love God and love people When I'm dealing with anger and when there are things that happen that are beyond my control, when people treat me certain ways and they don't meet my expectations, when I have conflict with my spouse and I get angry, how am I supposed to navigate that if I'm called to love God, love people, and serve the world? And I think really the core question that we need to ask is, how can we love people when there's so many dumb people in the world that just don't get it? Ephesians 4 and 26, the Apostle Paul said, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And if you've been around church very long, you may have heard that scripture before or a version of that scripture where maybe someone will even use that in the heat of an argument where you're supposed to be angry and not sin. You're not supposed to let the sun go down on your anger. And I think that people misunderstand what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate in that because we take that and we say, well, it's okay to be angry as long as we don't act on it. But I think as you further explore this idea of anger, that's not really what Paul was trying to communicate. The root of getting angry really comes from a situation that arises that's beyond our control and we want to control it. We don't like the way it's going. We want it to go a different way. We don't want that person to say that or do that or we expect this should have been done or that should have been done. And really the height of our anger uh, is really ignited the further away that our expectations are from the reality of what is happening around us. Uh, The more heightened our anger response is going to be when our expectations are further removed from the reality of what's actually happening around us. And when we see in Scripture that God gets angry and that Jesus was angry. But the things that we see he was angry about, that our holy and perfect God were angry about, were things when humans were per, would pervert the perfection of God's original design, not God throwing a hissy fit because he didn't get his way. It wasn't because of God's necessarily unmet expectations, rather than it was someone taking something he intended to be pure and holy and doing something different with it. And there is a righteous anger that can come from injustice. There is a righteous anger that can come from a, uh, a perversion of God's original design and intent. And as Christians, we should feel that way, but not just only should we feel that way, but it should actually move us to action. That righteous anger, that righteous feeling of knowing that there is injustice happening that is perverting God's perfect design and intent, man, we should want to see Uh, God's will done in those situations. But then there is another kind of anger, and it's probably the one that most of us, unfortunately, are all too familiar with. The more common type of anger that we're referring to is more of what we call a sinful anger. If you look over at James chapter 1 and verse 20, James writes, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of of God. That sinful, fleshly, selfish anger that is only really ultimately concerned about me, that doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So yeah, we can say, be angry and do not sin, but I think that what Paul was trying to infer here was not necessarily uh, talking about this selfish anger that we're talking about, the selfish anger that we can often have, because there's a ton of scripture that shows the danger of this selfish type of anger. If you have your Bible, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to do a little Bible drill here this morning and go through quite a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look 
at verse 20, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 20. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He said, I'm going to come and visit you guys, but man, I'm afraid when I show up, I'm not going to find Christ-like attitudes among you, and I'm not going to find you living in a way that honors God. I'm actually afraid that I'm going to find you behaving a different way. And one of the things that he described is he said, you, I've heard you guys have been angry, you've been hostile, and it's caused you to slander, it's caused you to gossip. It's caused you to do things that are not becoming of someone who's following Christ. Over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, uh, the Apostle Paul says something else about anger as he's talking about the works of the flesh that are evident. He talked about we need to follow after the Spirit. But then he said the works of the flesh, they're obvious. We should be able to recognize the works of the flesh. And then he begins to list all these different things. And in verse 20, he says, idolatry is one of those things, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. He says, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, uh, dissensions. All these things are works of the flesh. And then flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Last week, we actually explored the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 5 and the way that we're supposed to deal with people we disagree with and how we're supposed to interact with those people. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22. Actually, let's back up to verse 21. Jesus himself said, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, right? Murdering, not murdering people, we would consider that a good thing to do, to not murder people. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't kill. But he said, I'm going to take it further in verse 22. I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He says, listen, I'm taking this thing beyond just the action. Jesus is looking at the heart. He said, I'm examining something much deeper than what you actually do. So he's looking at the fact that he'll say there's, an, there, there's this anger where you're actually wishing someone was dead because there's such a, a frustration to you or you're so hurt by what they've done or you're so angry with the actions that they've taken. And if you're wishing they were dead but, and you're so angry with them, then you've got that same type of anger that someone who actually is committing the physical act of murder in your heart. He said, it's still sin. And he said, it's not okay. So he said, even though you're angry and you're not necessarily acting on the anger and following through with the murder, he's still calling it sin. So for us to look back at Ephesians, where we read that we need to be angry, but yet not sin and not let the sun go down on our anger, it's not just saying, as long as I stay mad and I can stuff it and I can somehow control it and somehow manage it and not actually do anything bad as a result, then that's okay with God. No, it's not. I think we just saw in Scripture where Jesus said, that's not okay. Just because you can suck it up buttercup for a minute doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it all right. There's something in our heart that is revealed when we allow this anger to control us. And there is a way that we can actually take the righteous anger, the good anger that we see in Scripture that God had, that Jesus had, and actually use that to cause us to actually do something that's going to bring glory to God. Colossians 3 and 8 says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You see, righteous anger is directed by love, but sinful anger is directed by a desire to control. That righteous anger, it's still in something in love. And this basically requires us to die to ourselves and become more Christ-like in our lives. A selfish desire to control Man, that drives and fuels and stokes anger. It just stokes this thing. And it's this selfish desire, this, this want for everything to always just go my way. And when it doesn't happen, then my response is often in anger. And that's where we get into the flesh because we're more concerned at that moment about ourselves. Let's go over to Mark chapter 3. And let's look at a very familiar story in scripture, if you've been around church very long, you may have heard this story before. Mark chapter 3 and verse 1, Jesus is teaching a crowd of people in the synagogue. 
And there were religious people there, religious leaders that were also in attendance that day. And they were not big fans of Jesus. And they wanted to see Jesus slip up. They wanted to see him do something that they could run with to discredit him. Something that, you know, would cause them to be able to stand on their platform and and rally people against Jesus. They just wanted him to mess up so bad. And so they're sitting in the crowd not to learn, but rather to try to discredit him. And so Jesus is teaching, and it's on the Sabbath, and there happens to be a guy in attendance that day also that had a withered hand. And they knew this guy was in attendance, and they were seeing this guy who had this physical thing that that they're like, if Jesus heals this guy, then we're going to be able to accuse him of working on the Sabbath because performing a miracle would be working on the Sabbath day, this holy day when no one's supposed to be working. And Jesus knew this was going on. So let's check this story out in Mark chapter 3 and verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, talking about Jesus, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Often when we read this story or we've taught this story, we focus on the miracle that Jesus did with the man with the withered hand. But have you ever noticed before that Jesus was actually grieved and angry at those who were trying to catch him? Not because Jesus was concerned about his reputation, not because Jesus was worried about himself, but because those people were so focused on accusing Jesus that they were more concerned with being right and using Jesus, healing a man to accuse Jesus rather than being concerned about the man who had been disabled, now being healed. And that made Jesus angry, and righteously so. That was a righteous type of anger. And not only was he angry, but the Bible says he was also grieved. What was he grieved at? He was grieved at the hardness of those people's hearts. Because not only were they trying to catch Jesus slipping up, but, man, they weren't seeing the more important thing here. They weren't seeing that a man was being healed. They weren't seeing that he was really the Messiah and that he's performing these miracles and that this is God in the flesh. And they're more concerned about their own agenda than they are seeing what's happening before them and right in front of them. They're so blinded by their own self-righteousness. And that's what that selfish, sinful anger will do in them. But then you see this righteous anger from Jesus. This righteous anger that saw an injustice, that saw a hardness in their heart. And and he became, in that moment, concerned for those people who had hard hearts. How often do we interact with people that have hard hearts? How often do we interact with people that may be blinded by their own ignorance? And, And I don't use the word ignorance to try to be funny. I'm using the word ignorance in the sense of literally, there are people they just don't know because they're so blinded. They're literally ignorant and blinded by their own agenda. And we get so mad at those people. And we want to write them off. We want to push them away. We want to not interact with them. You may be married to that person. That person may be your boss. That person may be an employee of yours. That person may be in your neighborhood. That person may be in your church. And we want to write people off that just don't do things the way we think they should do them. People maybe who are trying to accuse us falsely. Jesus couldn't necessarily control that situation and how those people were thinking or feeling. But we see how he responded to it and the type of anger he responded to it with. Jesus didn't say, you know what? All you jokers in here, that guy over there, he needs to be healed. And y'all are being so selfish. And I'm going to heal him. I'm going to show all y'all that he needs to be healed, and that I'm really the son of God, and all you jokers are just stupid and foolish. No, Jesus didn't have this haughty attitude, even though he had all the power and all the authority just to be able to heal this guy. To do No, he was grieved instead. Instead of being angry and more concerned about himself, you see the grief that Jesus experienced showed he had concern for the Pharisee. Jesus loved the Pharisee. We see that Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, and sometimes he was he's pretty rough with them from our point of view with the things that he said. And we would think, well, Jesus was being mean to the Pharisees. No, he was still being honest. 
He was still being forthright. He was still speaking the truth, and he was speaking that truth in love, but it was a hard truth. But yet he was still concerned about them. Jesus wasn't writing the Pharisees off. Jesus wasn't saying, well, you're all just destined for hell anyway, so who cares about all the Pharisees? He didn't just treat them poorly. No, he cared about them. And we see here that Jesus cared about the Pharisee because he was grieved. You, you don't grieve over someone you don't care about. You, you grieve over someone you care, you care about. He was grieving over the blindness and the hardness of their hearts. And we know that Jesus cared about them because the very people who whipped him, who maimed him, who mocked him, who spat on him, who chose Barabbas over him. When he was hanging on the cross, one of the last things that we have Jesus recorded saying was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're blind. They're ignorant. They're hard in their hearts. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If anyone could have been upset and been like, thunder and lightning bolts are coming your way, buddy. Jesus could have done that. He could have called 10,000 angels, Scripture says, but he, he chose instead to, to love those people in that moment. But yet the type of anger he had was a righteous anger. So when someone makes you angry, are you grieved at their ignorance? Are you grieved out of concern for their soul? Or are you just mad because they did something you didn't like? Are you grieved over their blindness? I had a situation many years ago where I had to make a difficult decision. I was faced with a difficult decision as a leader and making difficult decisions when you're in a position of leadership, you can't always just go and tell everyone all the details of everything that you had to deal with that led you to that decision. And I had a situation happen you know, many years ago like that and unfortunately, it didn't turn out very well for me because I wasn't able to give proper context of myself to all the people at that time. And so people began to just assume. People began to falsely accuse. People began to point fingers. People began to make up their own ideas and their own assumptions. It was a really hard time for me because I thought I had done what the Lord wanted me to do, but it affected not only me, but it affected other people. And so some of the people that I had to interact with after that, man, it was rough. And the temptation when you make a difficult decision, especially one that people may not always understand or like, is for you to go out and to justify yourself. That's always the temptation for you to go, oh, well, let me tell you why I'm right and all of these other people are wrong. That's always the temptation. And guess what? Sometimes I did that. Sometimes I blew it. And I did go on some sort of justification campaign for myself because I wanted people to see that I was right in the situation. But it wasn't very long after that that I realized what I was doing was wrong as well, trying to go to bat for and defend myself because, man, I wanted to take that road less traveled, that high road. But, man, the low road, oh, it looked so good. And then everybody would see I was right if I took the low road. But during that, the people that I offended, I, 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 something shifted in my heart from me being angry towards the fact that I was being attacked, that I was being misrepresented, that I was being accused, something shifted in my heart to actually the, the, the people that I offended, I actually began to have a heart of compassion for them. And so I began to try to lower my half of the drawbridge to try to extend grace and love and, and mercy. And I actually grieved over the things that they were saying about me to, in, indirectly or directly. And some of the things they were trying to do I began to actually grieve over that for them. It was like God showed me just a little bit of that pain that they were experiencing that maybe I was the, the whipping boy for, and I didn't want to be that guy. That's not fun. That's not something I wanted to sign up for. I just wanted everyone to go, oh, wow, Derek's really smart. He makes excellent decisions. Great. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. And when you're misrepresented, when you're being lied about, when you're being falsely accused, man, it's so tempting to want to go to bat for yourself. But I had some really wise people around me that said, you need to let the Lord fight your battles. And so I gave it to God. And as I gave it to God, I began to actually develop a heart of compassion for the very people who were trying to accuse me and trying to hurt me, who were trying to take me down. I began to pray for those people. You know it's hard to stay mad at somebody that you're genuinely praying for? And not praying that they change and come to the light to see that you're right and that you're so amazing and smart.
but to genuinely pray for them, to pray for their soul, to pray for their eyes to be open, to actually pray for them to where, man, I started having a heart of compassion, and then I started doing some crazy stuff. I'm talking about crazy stuff like trying to reach out, trying to say, hey, do, do, do we need to talk? I, I, I'm here for you because I, I, told, I told one of these people, I said, listen, I don't want the situation to be a stumbling block in your pursuit of Christ. I don't want this to be a continual thing that holds back your ministry or, or your family or your children from loving God and, and, and from, from loving, you know, being a part of the body of Christ. I, I don't want this thing to be some sort of, of, of rough patch that you always hold on to and remain angry about and get bitter over. And I told this person, I said, whatever we need to do to walk through this, let's do it. Whatever you need to do. And I extended that opportunity to that person because my concern became for them instead of my concern for myself, being vindicated, being justified in everyone else's eyes. My concern became for their family. Uh, and I didn't want to see them to continue to just live that way with that bitterness because it, it can be such a poison. It's like, it's like they, were, they were drinking poison and hoping I would get sick. And it just doesn't work that way. And I wanted to see them free from that as well. But God had to first help me to see the error of my ways. To see that it wasn't okay for me to hold on to those things. Even though, if I were to sit down and tell you the story, you'd probably be on my team, right? You'd probably be on my side. And isn't that what we selfishly do? Isn't that what we do? We rally the troops to be on our side when we've been offended, when someone makes us angry, when someone's done us wrong. And we go and find people that, hey, come join my team, come join my squad. Because we're going to be the offended squad. And let's all be offended together because it's so fun. And we all sit around and talk about the people who have done us wrong. And we all get really hyped up over the deal. None of us are doing anything about it, of course, other than just really getting angry together. And that's not God-honoring. That's sinful is what it is. And let me tell you, the most dangerous relationships that you'll ever form are the ones that you form on the basis of a shared offense. The most dangerous relationships that you'll ever form are when you have a coworker who's going through a divorce and you have marriage problems and you weren't really friends before, but all of a sudden you become friends because that person went through a divorce and you're having marriage problems and all of a sudden you find a new buddy. All of a sudden now you can talk about things you couldn't talk about before because they get you. They hate their husband too. Or they're angry with their wife because she doesn't do the same things your wife doesn't do. And you guys form like this bond. And that becomes the center point of your friendship. Those are some of the most unhealthy and dangerous relationships that you will have. Because they will only feed that flesh. And they will only feed that thing in you that you're trying to work through and that you're trying to crucify daily. And that thing will get stronger because your angst will grow if other people feed it and affirm it. Hello, somebody. And so you need to remove yourself from those relationships. And, and if that's all you got to talk about, man, I, I had a friendship. We were both upset at, at this pastor. And we were both upset about the situation with this pastor. We couldn't believe this guy did this. And this was, this was probably 15 years ago. So upset. And I didn't even know this guy felt the same way I felt. And when I kind of opened up to him one day, he felt the same way. And I was like, really? You feel that way too? We weren't even buddies before, but we became good friends. To the point to where 10 years later, when we would talk on the phone, because we didn't even live in the same place. 10 years later, we'd talk on the phone. And what do you think he brought up? Same stuff from 10 years ago. You know how much has changed? Nothing. But the friendship was built on that. I had to walk away from that. I had to walk away from that because it was unhealthy. I mean, we had nothing else to talk about other than this situation. Come on. That's unhealthy when we do that. That is that selfish, sinful bitterness and anger and that stuff that we are told to put away. That stuff that is not glorifying God. And we need to develop instead a heart of concern and compassion for those who would offend us, those who would make us angry. Whether that be your wife, your husband, your children, your mother, your father. Whether that be a step-parent, whether that be a stepson, stepdaughter, whether that be... An aunt, an uncle, a friend, a coworker, a boss. 
It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever relationship that God has put in your way that is causing you that type of stress or that type of reaction, you say, God, help me to develop a heart of compassion for that person. Help me to see them like you see them because you did love the Pharisee. You were angry with them, but you did not sin. How are you angry with them and you didn't sin, Lord? Because you were grieved. Are you hearing me this morning? Because you were grieved? Because you actually care? You care more about than... More, more, you care more about the person than the way the person makes you feel? Do they disrespect you? Do they falsely accuse you? Sure, I get it. It's not right. But do you have a heart of compassion for them? Are you praying for them? Do you care about their soul? Do you care that they're blind? If, if the fact that they're blind, if that brings you anger, then that's a good thing that should drive you to a positive action. And the positive action is not gossip. Hello. The positive action is not slander. The positive action would be to pray for them at a bare minimum if you can't talk to them or they don't want to have anything to do with you. But if you can, try to rebuild that bridge. Try to let them know your door is open. Try to let them know you're in the business of reconciliation because you serve a God who's in the business of reconciliation. Amen? Let them know that. Let them know, hey, my door's open. I'm not going to write you off just because you did me wrong. I'm not going to just let my anger fuel my behavior. Most sinful anger is rooted in fear and pain. Think about that for a minute. Most sinful anger is rooted in fear and pain. And here's the thing that we do. We, we quickly want to avoid people who are angry. And you all know, you've all got names that you're thinking of right now. Don't even play. I know everybody's got names, somebody they're thinking about, that maybe tomorrow at work, when you walk into the office, or when you go into the factory or wherever you work, you know there's somebody that you just hope was not scheduled at the same time you were scheduled. And you just don't want to see that person. You're grateful when they call in sick. Whew, don't have to work with that person today because they're always mad. They're always angry about something. They're always frumpy. They, they bring you down. They drag you down. And the main concern becomes you, like how they affect you. I don't want to work with that person because how they make me feel. But if that person is always angry, guess what? That person probably is dealing with a lot of pain that you may not be aware of. You may not even be aware of. You don't know how that person was raised. You don't know what type of environment that they are currently living in. You don't know that that waiter or waitress that gave you an attitude that you didn't tip because you didn't like their attitude. You don't know what they're dealing with at home. You don't know what they're dealing with with their coworkers. You don't know. We can't contextualize them. And it's not our job just to judge those people and say, you're not worthy of a tip. Because you were not friendly. And we even sometimes write ugly little personal notes. Not friendly, no tip. Because that's what Jesus would do. <laughs> no, Jesus would give that person something that they didn't deserve. That's called grace. You didn't earn this, you didn't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways because I want to show you how powerful the love of God is. Maybe that would begin to melt away some of that hardness in their heart. Because people that are angry expect other people to treat them a certain way. And that's part of the defense mechanism. It is intended to keep you away. The reason they're so angry is because they do not want you to talk to them. They want you to know they're angry. They want you to know that you can't meet their expectations. They want you to know that. And so they're going to use anger as something to keep you away. And we respond accordingly because we don't like being around angry people. And if we want to be a happy person, we're just going to go be happy over here. And if that person wants to be angry, they can be angry over there. But at the same time, our call as Christians is not to avoid those. It doesn't say love God, avoid negative people, and serve the world. <laughs> when we say love God, love people, and serve the world, that love people part means all kinds. Especially those that are wounded. Because Jesus said, I, I didn't come... For, for those that are, that, that are already serving God and loving God. No, I, I actually came for the lost. I, I came for those that are sick, those that are, that are lost and clueless, that don't know. That, that, that's why I'm here. And so you may be at your workplace because there's someone there that God wants you to minister to, and they may be the person everybody else doesn't like. They probably will be the person everybody else doesn't like. People you interact with, that family member... You know how it is. It's getting that season. Thanksgiving's coming, and you know it. And there are going to be people showing up at your house that you're like, mm-mm. 
I'll stay on this side of the room. They can stay on that side of the room. I'm going to wait till they get their plate of food before I go get mine because I just hope I don't even have to interact with them. You know, this type of message is not fun for me either, by the way, because I've got my own names that come to mind that I get angry with, situations that make me angry, things I can't control. But I have to remember that sinful anger, whether it's mine or someone else's, it's really rooted in fear and pain. And instead of avoiding those people, what if we instead loved them? We hold on to our anger because we're hurt. And guess what? Hurting people hurt people. And this exposes something in us. Anger exposes people. <laughs> it exposes us. When we're angry, it exposes something in us. It exposes an area of our life we haven't really let Jesus heal. It exposes something in us that we haven't truly surrendered and given to Christ. Because I'm still trying to control it. Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid because I can't control it. I can't make that person do what I want them to do, so I'm going to be angry about it. And it will cause me to sin because I'll try to control, whether that's through fear tactics, whether that's through intimidation, whether that's through manipulation, whether that's through, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And people are like, oh, I don't want to make, don't want to make my husband angry. don't want to make my wife angry. Oh, I don't want to make my kid angry. Oh, I don't want to make my boss angry. And anger is the thing that is controlling our behavior. And other people that like to control, they like that. They like that you're responding to their intimidation. That's no way to live. But the only reason someone would try that tactic is because they themselves are wounded. There's some deficiency in us that we haven't given and surrendered to Jesus. And that sinful anger has a root. And it's that fear, it's that pain. We hang on to it because often it's consumed so much of our identity that we don't know who we would be without it. You know, back when I had hair, <laughs> it was a certain color. And that was red. I was a redhead before I was a bald head. And that red hair is associated with temper. And I used to buy into that lie. And all my ginger people out there, you know what I'm talking about because you've been accused. It's like, I can't even get mad because then you're going to like tell me that it's because of my hair. That don't have nothing to do with my hair. It has something to do with you acting a fool. <laughs> redheads have short tempers. Oh, redheads, they get angry so quick. Oh, there goes a redhead. He's mad. Oh, don't make him angry. People say dumb stuff like that. And man, I used to, when I got mad, I thought it was just something that I did because of the color of my hair. Because that's what people told me. I thought that was kind of my role in life. I'm supposed to be the angry guy, you know? I'm supposed to just always be this angry person. And, and man, I, I was an angry dude for a long time. I was angry with my wife, angry with my kids. I was angry towards my parents, angry towards other people who had hurt me, who had wounded me, just angry all the time. And I'd put on a smile for everybody else, and I would try to stuff and control this anger. But man, when I would get home, it would all come out. And I would say, leave me alone. I want to be by myself. I don't want you to talk to me. I want to isolate, because that's what people who wrestle with deep anger do. They want to isolate. There'll be smile, guys smiling around everybody else, and I had gotten good at that. But I had to realize this is not healthy. I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to be this person that's one way here and then a, another way at home and unloading my anger on the people that I should be loving and caring the most. One time we were uh, taking the kids to school, and I used to live in Sheboygan Falls, and the way I would take my kids to school is I would go out on TT towards the airport, and I'd have to merge on to Highway 23. You try merging on the Highway 23 at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, uh, man, especially in a little four-cylinder car with three kids and yourself. Man, you're, you're, you're pedaled to the metal, and that thing's just... And they're like, we, we are going to die. Like, this is, where, this is where we're going to die, taking the kids to school, trying to merge on to 23 when everyone else is going 70, 75 miles an hour. Shoom, 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 and you just try to squeeze out onto that highway. And every morning, man, especially if we were running behind, which happened once or twice, <laughs> we're running behind, and I got to get on 23 to take my kids to school. 
and cars are steadily flying by. And just when I think I got a moment, here comes some semi-truck over the hill. And I would go, come on. You kidding me? Come on. And I did this so many times. One day, I was actually in a good mood, and I wasn't upset with the traffic. A car comes by, and all of a sudden, I hear out of the back seat my little daughter, Abigail. She goes, come on. <laughs> really? That was another one of my really bad ones that my wife regularly checks my heart on is really? Like I'm asking, like, really? I get so mad. And I began to hear my daughter saying the same thing I said, and I was like, oh, that's how that works. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not how I want her acting, the situation she can't control. Because can I control the traffic? No. Otherwise, we wouldn't have four-way stop issues in Sheboygan Falls. <laughs> I cannot control traffic. If there are multiple cars that pull up to a four-way stop at the same time, who gets to go first? Person on the? Person on the right. See, thank you. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm trying to say. I, it's not an issue with me, though. But isn't that silly? We get so mad about stuff like that. And I can't control that. And other people are watching. Our kids are watching. Our spouse is watching. A watching world that when they hear we are Christ followers, they should be seeing something different. Amen? Amen. And the difference should be that when things happen out of our control, that we're going to respond in a Christ-like manner, in a Christ-like attitude, not in a fleshly attitude, because we're crucifying our flesh so that we can show Christ and point people to Jesus. And that's how we should be living instead of living out of this fear and this anger and this pain of what we cannot control. You see... You may have been abused. You may have been neglected. You may have been rejected, abandoned, unwanted, lied to, lied about, accused. But let me tell you, I don't care if you were shamed, if you were wrongfully accused, manipulated. Those things do not define you. We could sit around all day and compare who had the worst story about their upbringing. We could sit around all day and compare who's had the, the bigger struggles in their marriage. We could sit around and talk about all of the addictions and vices and who has the, the, the worst ones. I don't care how bad your story may be or how dark your past or your present may be. It does not give you justification to sin. Hello, somebody. Amen or oh me. It doesn't matter how bad our past is or how dark our, our upbringing is it does not make our sin okay it doesn't make God go you know what you had a really rough life it's okay you can get away with a little bit more sin than the person sitting next to you it's cool I'm good with that no God's not okay with that because sin is still sin I don't care what upbringing that you had that's why God says when we come into relationship with Christ when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Christ all things become new the old has passed away the old should not define me anymore now I am forgiven now I am free I'm chosen I am loved and I believe somebody needs to hear that today you may have been modeled and shown a poor pattern of behavior you may have been modeled and shown a poor pattern of how to properly respond to things that are beyond your control that does not define you in other words, we can't crutch on our sin and justify our sin by saying, well, that's the way my dad was. It's the way my grandpa was. The way it's always been in my family, and I guess that's just the way I'm going to be too. God doesn't go, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> it's okay for you to be angry and sin because I forgot your dad was mad too all the time. No, that doesn't give us justification because we are accountable for the truth that we receive. And so if you receive this truth and you hear this truth, all of a sudden you've got to go, now I'm accountable for that. So my past does not dictate me, nor does my past give me an excuse to continue to go down a pattern of sinful behavior when it comes to anger or anything else. You're a new creation in Christ. You've received the spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Amen? And we, we say that in an encouraging way and in a way that makes us want to hoop it up at church. And we want to high five and say, thank you, Jesus. And that's great. And we're forgiven. And we're free. And we're chosen. And hallelujah. And that's all wonderful. But it also takes away my excuses because now, that's right, I am free. I am loved. I am forgiven. Those things should define me. And I'm not supposed to live according to the pattern of the flesh. 
because now I'm supposed to be transformed by renewing my mind to be able to think about the things that honor God, that point me on a path that would glorify Him, that I can walk through this uh, this pathway, this journey of sanctification so that I can begin to glorify God with my life and crucify that flesh daily because perfect love casts out all fear. 1 John 4 and 18, perfect love casts out all fear. You're no longer a slave to fear. Paul said it made sense for you to sin when you weren't in Christ because that's what people without Christ do. It just makes sense. We should naturally just give over to the lusts of our flesh. We should just naturally be angry because, I mean, that makes sense if you don't have hope, if you don't have Christ. He said, but you have not so learned Christ. So because you're in Christ, there's supposed to be something different about you. Amen? By the way you react, because people are going to do things that you can't control. People are going to do stuff that makes you mad. You're going to show up one day, and you're going to think that the house was supposed to be cleaned. And guess what? It was worse than when you left. And your kids are sitting around watching TV. And you thought that they were supposed to have this, this, and this done. And then you are faced with a choice. Am I going to crucify my flesh or am I going to give in to it? Here's what you can't do. You can't stuff it. You've got to deal with it one way or another. You're either going to act on it or you need to give it to Jesus. Because if you stuff it, then you are tanking up something that is going to be violently unleashed, that is going to be so ugly and so undeserving for whoever happens to be the innocent bystander. And it's not going to glorify God and it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt and harm relationships. Because you're going to find that person that they are going to get not just the wrath of what they did to disappoint you or frustrate you, but all that other junk you've been tanking up too. Because they're going to get the fact that you were mad that that employee didn't show up on time or your wife spent more money than you guys agreed to spend on this thing or that the house wasn't the way you thought it would be or that you're, you got a flat tire and you weren't expecting that or whatever the case may be, boom, 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 boom. All these things, you just stuff and stuff and stuff. And if you don't deal with it and you just think, oh, I'm doing so good, I'm being so Christ-like because I'm stuffing it. No, you're just trying to manage it. And we're terrible managers of this. We're terrible flesh managers. You ever try to manage your flesh? You will not succeed. <laughs> you may for a little while, and you may go, I'm doing so good. And then all of a sudden, you were looking for those pants that you thought were supposed to be clean, and they're still in the dirty clothes, and you needed them because you had an important meeting. And you're like, where's those pants? Oh, I didn't get around to washing that today. <gasps> and you unleashed the Kraken. <laughs> and it's way overkill from what it should have been. But you stuffed all that other mess. And that undeserving spouse or child got all that. And I know that I'm the only one that's ever done that. That's not okay. That is sinful. That is selfish. And that is hurting our relationship with our spouse and with our children and with friends and with coworkers. And it's not right. And we have not learned Christ that way. Perfect love casts out on uh, all fear. Only when confession and forgiveness are present will you be able to let go of your anger. Only when confession and forgiveness are present because you can't bottle it up and deal with it on your own because it will eat you up from the inside and it will poison your heart. It will hurt relationships and it will make you miserable. Only confession and forgiveness, and I'm not talking about confessing it to a priest or a pastor. No, that doesn't do, (laughs) that doesn't really deal with the issue in your heart. I'm talking about confessing it to God. Amen? Actually giving voice to it, dealing with it, forgiving and saying, I want to I acknowledge the fact that I'm angry right now and I know I'm angry because I can't control the situation and I have unmet expectations. And I need to give voice to that. And the thoughts I'm thinking and the things that aren't fair to me in my mind, I need to say, Lord, I need to give that to you because I can't control people. And that's not my call. I don't get to control people. I'm supposed to love God and then love people. And that may mean lovingly speaking the truth to someone. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you just allow yourself to be a doormat that just gets trampled on. You still speak the truth in love. And there's still confrontations that, man, I I hate that stuff. 
But there's still some necessary things that you have to do, but you do it in a spirit of love, not in a spirit of trying to show that person how right you are and how wrong they are. But when you do it in love and, and you want to keep that door open and you say, hey, I, I need to talk to you about something, you do it in a spirit of love and, and ask God to help you with that, to not give into the flesh. Lord, help me to crucify that flesh. Help me to be aware when I'm beginning to kind of teeter on that side to where I'm not walking in the spirit, but I'm walking after the flesh. And when you do, Lord, forgive me. And then pray, God, help me to have a heart of compassion for that person. Help me to actually be concerned for them and not just for myself. It's so easy to just only think about yourself when you're mad, right? Because you're thinking about how you were done wrong, how you didn't get what you deserve, how much you did, how little they did, all these things. It's self. It's thinking about self. Lord, help me to have a heart of compassion for the person, for my spouse, for my friend, for my child, for my family member, for my coworker, for my employer, for my fellow brother or sister in the Lord. And, and let my heart be grieved by any blindness that they may have in their life. And let me pray that Ephesians prayer that you open the eyes of their understanding so that they can see that truth. And let me spend time redirecting that anger into something that can be productive rather than something that's going to be destructive and that's going to hurt relationships because perfect love is going to cast out all fear. You don't have to live in fear of not being able to control. Sir, you don't have to manipulate your spouse by making her afraid of you. Are you hearing me today? It doesn't work. It's going to hurt you in the long run. It's going to put wedges between. And, and if you see that and you notice that, the worst thing you could do is sit here in this church service today and think, oh, I'll deal with this internally. I'll, I'll, I'll do a better job. I'm going to make a, a, a more focused effort to do a better job of controlling my anger. No, you're not. <laughs> you can't control anger. You've got to put the flesh to death. You've got to crucify it. That's what Jesus said. Crucify. Take up your cross daily. Crucify that flesh, not manage it. You know, we're terrible flesh managers. And we need to stop just trying to be flesh managers. We need to instead say, Lord, I, I want to crucify that flesh. And show me how to live Christ-like towards those I disagree with, towards those who offend me, towards those who do me wrong, through, to those who falsely accuse me. Lord, show me how to do that. Uh, develop in me, God, a heart of compassion for those people who have intentionally wronged me. And Lord, help me have grace for those who have unintentionally wronged me. Help me have grace on, on, on the waiter or the waitress that gave me bad service or that person that doesn't know how to properly execute a four-way stop. And they're waving because they think they're being nice, but they're actually causing problems. Lord, help me <laughs> to have patience to try to merge onto 23. <laughs> uh, look, guys, we got to give this stuff to Jesus because we're not doing so hot on our own. Don't you think Jesus is the better option here? I do. So we got to acknowledge it. We got to confess it. And we got to repent of it. And then we got to say, Lord, I need your help with this thing. And maybe you need other people in your life. That's one of the great things about being married. You have that spouse that. You can say, hey, will you hold me accountable to this? Will you help me to, to, to crucify that thing? Because I don't want to be this way towards you or towards the kids. Maybe you have a friend that you can do that with. But don't stuff it. Don't try to manage it. Don't try to control it. Give it to Jesus. And say, Lord, help me to be angry about the right things and not sin. Help me to be angry about injustice in the world. Lord, if I'm going to be angry, Lord, I want to be angry because there's children that are being abandoned in Mexico and that there's a need for an orphanage and because there's unwanted kids that are just being thrown to the wayside. God, if I'm going to be angry about something, Lord, develop in me a righteous anger about the opioid abuse in Sheboygan County and how it's tearing families apart. And then, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Let that righteous anger drive me to pray or to get involved or to help someone. Lord, if, if I'm going to be righteously angry about something, let it not be because I didn't get the stinking parking place I wanted. Because what does that do? Selfish. 
flesh. Let me crucify that thing. Yeah, the house didn't get clean. Lord, help me crucify that because I don't want to stuff that. Let me confess it. Let me acknowledge that I'm angry about this, but I want to crucify my flesh and I want to live in a way that's going to honor you and treat my family and be present and be, be loving and be warm and be enjoyable around them instead of just be some sort of angry animal because that doesn't help anybody. We need to take this stuff to the cross. Take it to Jesus and let him heal our hearts so we don't have to any longer live as a slave to fear. Amen. Lord, thank you for this day. I pray you help us. Help all of us because this is something we all deal with, me included. Help us all in this place to be reminded about how wonderful and awesome you are and how much you love us and how you have given us so much more than we could ever deserve. Anything we could ever earn, no matter if we try to live our lives completely perfect, we still can't earn or deserve what you've given us or what you've done for us. But somehow you still care enough to give us that freedom, that love, that forgiveness, and that reconciliation of a relationship with a holy and perfect God. We thank you for that. Let us be reminded of the gospel when we want to give into our flesh. And let us admit it and deal with it and say, I'm, I'm blowing it, Lord, right now. I'm, I'm messing up. I'm, I'm starting to go down a path I don't want to go down. Help me, Lord, to crucify that flesh and develop in us a heart of compassion that would be grieved over the fact that other people would be so blind to want to treat someone the way that maybe they've chosen to treat us or to ignore, or to try to intentionally frustrate, or, or hurt, or, or wound us. Lord, let us not carry those offenses. Let's take those things to the cross, and let us not gossip, and, and backbite, and slander. But instead, Lord, let us walk in unity, and in peace, especially with those who are of the family of faith. And let us show a watching world, people who can walk through this life, and make mistakes, but still yet love each other, forgive each other. Let us show a watching world, what the love of God really means. And let us be those hands and feet of Jesus that can help them to have an experience and encounter with that type of love through the way we treat and interact with them. I believe you're challenging every person in this place. And I pray, I pray that we would respond to that challenge by living our lives as a sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.